This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Here we go, hour three on a great day for talk radio. We're into uh, day two of our working week. We'll wrap that tomorrow. I love this three-day work week. However, uh, and then we get back to serious business with the schools back in next week. And because you had the, uh, well, the unique circumstance of the Next Generation game at the Scotiabank Arena earlier this afternoon, 2 o'clock, and uh, the Leafs might have hoped to have an evening encounter instead because they lost 4-3 to three after staking out a two-goal lead, and uh, it wasn't to be. Of course, it could have been worse. Like the juniors last night, did you see the outcome of that game? Man, oh man, 40 seconds left. They've got a lock on it, one zip. They're going to go beyond the quarterfinal, and the Finns score what looked to be a fluky goal. And then, of all things to happen, it was just like bad things happen in threes, and uh, they missed on a penalty shot in overtime, and then an open net where they could have salted the game. Buddy breaks his stick, the Canadian player. He's right there, gaping net, goes to shoot, and the stick disintegrates in his hands. When's that going to happen? However, uh, well, the spate of threes is something, you know, I've, I found myself saying that yesterday. Did you notice uh, three people died, significant personages, uh, Super Dave Osborne, uh, Bob Einstein at 76, the captain, Daryl Dragon from the captain and Tennille likewise, and uh, who was the other? There was a third person. I, oh, Gene Okerlund, uh, Mean Gene from the wrestling uh fame of WWE and WWF. And uh, there there you go. Sometimes these things do happen in threes. There was also a, a death that was announced uh, yesterday as well. 16-year-old that was traveling in a car uh, filled with teens uh, on Tuesday night, late at night, uh, when they were in the area of King Vaughn Road and Kipling Avenue, just before midnight, uh, went off the road at uh, a little turn there. And uh, the tragedy that came about was uh, where two 16-year-olds, or 15- and 16-year-old, were taken to hospital in a life-threatening condition, and the 16-year-old has since died. Uh, his mother, needless to say, is distraught. She had texted him when he wasn't returning by midnight, uh, wondering... What went wrong? Is something up? And you know, the mother's intuition inevitably uh, was borne out here, which just leads me to wonder, as I did earlier in the program, if perhaps, you know, when it comes to licensing of teenagers and especially 16-year-olds, should we reconsider or reassess that whole protocol? I wanted to start with that. Julian Fantino has joined us on the line, former Toronto Police Chief and OPP Commissioner and a friend of the Oakley Show. Julian, it's good to have you back on board. Happy New Year. And a happy new year to you as well, John. Thank you. Yeah. Now this tragedy that happened up there at uh, King Vaughn Road and Kipling Avenue. I know you know that part of the air uh, of the province. Uh, you're rather intimately familiar with that that neck of the woods. I mean, it's it's a tragedy, and I'm just wondering: is there any merit to reconsidering how we assess people for driver's licenses in the province? Well, first of all, I know that particular road very well, having traveled it many times, and uh, it's a very winding, difficult road, especially at nighttime. And uh, you can imagine, without, I, I guess, anticipating what may or may not have happened here, the reality is probably an experience, uh, a young age driver uh, at the wheel. Uh, those kinds of things all, always fall into, into some consideration. Of course, maybe distracted driving or just not being familiar with the winding and difficult uh, passage in that particular area. Well, they say uh, the the vehicle was uh, five people in the car between the ages of 15 and 17. And uh, the criteria by which you can get a license, we know at 16 you can uh, get the G2 and you'll graduate. After six months, I guess you can get, a, or eight months, you get a G2. Uh, and then you get on to a G. Uh, is there something that 
does merit any reconsideration of this protocol or the process? Uh, Julian, I know that you've had uh, experience with young Hellions who are stunt driving. Uh, perhaps they're beyond 16 or whatever, but is there any reason to have to reassess? Well, I think there is. Uh, you know, these are very, very poignant lessons, very uh, distraught kinds of scenarios that happen. And, and from them, we should draw some kind of conclusion. But if if you look at it uh, in a much broader uh, context, you'll see that there's a greater propensity of younger people, young people getting involved in these kinds of happenings. And it's usually uh, multiple persons in a vehicle. It's, it's very seldom do you have one. And I recall uh, a number of these things uh, during my time uh, in policing where uh, young people uh, in a vehicle, uh, multiple of, um, issues, of course, but always young, tender age and experienced drivers and very often uh, not familiar with, uh, with the vehicle or, or the driving conditions uh, that prevail at the time. Uh, I, would, I would think that it's worth looking at. It should be looked at. And we should, look, we should learn from these tragic events uh, to hopefully prevent others from uh, finding a, a, a similar fate. You know, when you talk about distracted driving, uh, the new regimen that came into play uh, a couple of days ago, January 1, uh, a handheld device, if you're caught using one, you'll be fined up to $1,000, which more than doubles the previous fine. And uh, it's a three-day license suspension and three demerit points as well. A second occasion gets you a fine up to 2000 and uh, six demerit points and a seven-day driver's license suspension. And if you do uh, more than two times a handheld device and you're distracted within five years, that's a fine up to three grand, six demerit points, and a 30-day suspension. You think that's about adequate? Will that get people's attention, Julian? No, I don't think it will. Uh, And I can tell you, John, the one thing that will most certainly get their attention is when you impound the vehicles. We found that when we put the stunt driving legislation into place, where uh, people's license were suspended for seven days and then they had to reapply to get their license back. But the profound uh, impact there was the impounding of vehicles. And the one year to the next, the the decrease in serious uh, collisions and injuries and fatalities went down dramatically in the province of Ontario. I was OPP commissioner then, and uh, we were able to get that legislation. And it was a huge, huge a difference uh, early days, and it's still, I believe, having some impact, uh, but maybe not as much as it used to. So the fine itself is not the deterrent? I don't think it is. I don't think it is at all. I, I think that if you're going to be serious about these issues, and we, we know from police uh, accounts that uh, you know there's four aggressive driving alcohol-related, uh, alcohol, no drug, inattentive driving and not wearing seatbelts, they're the causal factors of most serious uh, crashes and deaths in this province, traffic deaths in this province. So, and like I say to you, uh, the 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 uh, impounding of vehicles, uh, one year to the next, uh, made a huge impact on the numbers of traffic fatalities and serious injuries that happened in this province. So, uh, I think that that's to me the 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 most uh, effective uh, consequence, and that you know you you. you teach an awful lot of people when they lose their car for seven days or whatever, uh, the ails of, uh, of such uh, activity. Well, help me out here because, you know, there's a, a bit of a disconnect. When you've got a blood alcohol concentration higher than 0.05, you lose your, uh, well, your driving privileges for three days, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, the threshold, though, uh, the criminal code is 
0.08. Now, in Ontario, it was made 0.05. You support that? Well, I do, actually. And, you know, we have to deal with this issue in a very serious way. If you look at the consequences, well, the leading cause of criminal death in this country is uh, impaired drug impaired alcohol impaired driving so uh, i think we have to take it very serious i think it's a preventable uh, situation and if you look at the carnage that's happening that's totally preventable on our on our highways uh, it's certainly something that uh, you know you just have to jack up the consequences so as people hopefully uh, know that it's just not worth uh, the 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 chance that they take believing as, as most impaired drivers do, and I've certainly met an awful lot of them, uh, that they're in, in perfect control, and they're not. Uh, you know, the, the physical the, the physical characteristics of impairment are, are, are obvious, even though people don't realize that, that it's happening to them. Well, all right, but, you know, the disconnect comes from the fact that if we've got $1,000 upon conviction for distracted driving, but if you're caught with uh, blowing over point zero five. uh the fine is 250 for the first offense, 350 for the second, and 450 for the third and subsequent offenses. Uh, does that fine seem, now you said fines don't really make a difference in terms of deterrence, but those seem relatively low compared to the fines for distracted driving. So which is worse? Well, I think what's happened here, there's a disconnect between what is in fact federal legislation and provincial uh, legislation. And, and I guess the province is trying to address a, a significant issue over which they have control and authority, which is the, the provincial statute. Uh, the impaired driving, uh, drug uh, and alcohol impaired driving aspects of the legislation are federal. So uh, I believe that uh, the province is trying to assert its, its authority in a very significant way, as they believe they should. Uh, the, the federal government seems to be uh, lacking behind a little bit. Well, let me ask you, when it comes to the ride program, which has just been completed, for example, over the holiday season, I guess it starts in mid-November, up in, uh, well, the Toronto police, for example, charged uh, 1,116 motorists with impaired in 2018, 1,042 for alcohol, 74 for drugs. I'm wondering yeah. if that drug number is now going to increase with the legalization of marijuana. Do you think it will? I probably will, uh, but you know the, the other thing that I have always found uh, somewhat disconcerting is that we mount these campaigns uh, during the holiday season, when in reality the normalcy of, uh, of people's habits uh, happen year-round. And I was a strong advocate for doing ride programs year-round because the activities happen year-round. So I understand the upsurge in, in police activity uh, during the holiday season. Uh, where you get the statistics, but if we were to do this year-round, John, I think all of us would be very startled by the results that would be uh, evident in, in the numbers of people that are actually driving impaired, either by alcohol or drugs. Well, you know, it's startling as far as the numbers are concerned. In Durham region, for example, uh, over the ride campaign seven weeks, police arrested 117 motorists for impaired, and that's five more than last year. The trouble is, they sur- uh, stopped Twice as many vehicles, 25,110. That's more than double the number in 2017. So you got five more charges by doubling up by uh, a quantum of, uh, what, 12,000-plus uh, stops. Does that is that cost-effective, or, you know, are the resources better allocates, allocated in some other way, Julian? I mean, what's the return on investment here? Only five more charges, and you've stopped twice as many people? 
Yeah, but you know what, John? Uh, public safety is measured not in the quantity of vehicle stop and number of lives saved. So five lives, if that's what it was, uh, think about how many uh, uh, are prevented uh, in, in, in similar activities by the police on an annual basis. So uh, I, I don't count the numbers of uh, vehicles stopped. Uh, what is disconcerting, I believe, to all of us is that after all of the education programs, the the, the publicity that that is associated with this, the, the fact that lives ruined, families devastated, and we're still drinking and driving or or, or, or consuming drugs and driving. So there's an awful lot more work to be done, and I think the police should ramp up their, their ride program on an annual basis, and whatever resources they need to do that, they should be – that's the most effective thing that the police can do in terms of, of preventing tragedies, and, and, and very often it's innocent people that are the victims of all this. Well, do you think a byproduct of uh, setting up a perennial ride program year-round, for example, is that you generate more revenue just by more people being ticketed or charged, and that would pay for the policing resources? I, I would hate to associate uh, anything the police do with revenue generating, John. I think this is uh, n- not a very good uh, use of police resources. I think it all be it should all be very keenly focused on the primary uh, mandate of the police, and that is to prevent crimes and, and deal with with the kinds of things that are, are really helpful to society. And it isn't about making money. Uh, that's somebody else's responsibility, and they should take that very serious. The police are basically an instrument by which we can create order and and civility in society and also prevent tragedies. Again with Julian Fantino, former Toronto Police Chief and OPP Commissioner, as well as serving a time in uh, Parliament where I've got to pivot to this, and uh, it's a question I'm curious about because uh, there's a panel of MPs and they want the federal government to look at making criminal pardons automatic once offenders have served their sentence. Uh, Does that make sense to you? Not, not at all, John. I think, if anything, it should be made easier for people to obtain a pardon when, when a pardon is legitimately uh, uh, available. I don't think any, anybody should get a pass uh, automatically on any of these issues. Uh, these are all uh, post-trials uh, uh, and post-sentencing uh, and post-court uh, uh, proceedings uh, whereby people are found guilty as per the laws of the land, and, and I don't think that we should wink and blink at the outcome or the consequences. You pay as you play, John, and people should know that before they commit crimes. Well, you were in the government at the time, I guess, when uh, you stiffened the rules on getting a pardon. Didn't you, upon summary conviction, used to be three years now, uh, or you made it five, I believe, in your government? Well, John, what we tried to do is we tried to resonate the message in a much more assertive way to those people who just flaunt the law and continue to break the law. And, and what we try to do is we try to make the, the, the consequences fit the severity of what people are doing. You, you, you have to look at just how much the criminal justice system is, is abused and used to the advantage of those who are breaking the law on a regular basis. So uh, if, if it's a pardon and pardon are, 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 are available to people, but I don't think it should be an automatic anything. You should earn it. And uh, there should be a process in place whereby you are uh, deemed to be worthy and have learned your 
lesson and uh, can go on to make a contribution to society. All right. So an indictable offense, you got to wait 10 years instead of five uh, for a pardon to be able to uh, even ask for a pardon. Do you think that the legalization of marijuana is going to change that equation? In fact, uh, you know, a lot of people who want to travel to the States, for example, now that pot's legal and yet they've done their time uh, for whatever reason, you know, uh, involving when pot was illegal, do you think they should get uh, pardons easier? I don't think they should get a pardon automatic, John, because some of these convictions for street possession, which may appear to be minor, are really the result of a deal having been made, uh, a deal uh, that may have involved trafficking or possession of large amounts. So, you know, you have to look at every one of those and look at the the actual issues as opposed to making it automatic. <clears throat> All right, well, Julian, I'll let you go on that note. I appreciate it. Uh, I've almost taxed your voice to the max, so uh, (laughs) we'll let you recover on the other side and talk soon. Appreciate your joining us. Thank you, John. All the best. And to you. you. Julian Fantino, former Toronto Police Chief and Commissioner of the OPP, as well as serving a stint with the Harper Conservative government. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.